got three Bibles up here. These ones, there we go. Uh, good evening, everyone. It's lovely uh, to be here. It's lovely to be sharing from God's Word uh, this evening. We're back in the book of Hebrews, so please keep it open uh, and let's pray and let's ask God um, to help us. Uh, Father, we thank you this evening that your words are truth and that they are life. And we just pray tonight that every ear and every heart will be open in this place to hear what you have to say to us. Help us to receive these words and know that you love us, that you care for us, and that you dearly want us to mature in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how well can you hear me tonight? Uh, Yes, I've got a funny accent and about 50% of the words I say you need to really, really think about until you understand. Um, The sound system can be a bit squeaky sometimes too, but can you actually hear what I'm saying tonight, or can you actually hear what the Bible is saying tonight? We're in Hebrews chapter 5, which Royston has just read to us, and it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Hebrews, so a little bit of recap, uh, some nerdy stuff. Uh, Hebrews is a letter in the Bible, funnily enough. Uh, It's an epistle, uh, when epistle just means a letter in in Greek. Uh, The author is largely unknown. It's written to a church that's also largely unknown, apart from the fact that they're probably majority uh, Jewish, and they might be hanging on to their Jewish beliefs. It's written sometime in the first century after Jesus dies and rises again, uh, and before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And the whole point of Hebrews, and the main reason it's written, is to say, look how amazing, look how good Jesus is. There's a little phrase that keeps popping up throughout this book. Uh, It's a little phrase, more excellent or better So whenever we come to look at something in Hebrews, the writer always wants to let us say, look at Jesus, he is much better. Any Old Testament figure, any Old Testament tradition, he goes, but you know what's better than this? It's Jesus. It's written to tell these Christians in this church that Jesus is more better, that he's the great saviour that he is. And if you've read Hebrews before, you might notice, or you might have noticed going through the the sermons uh, in previous services, that there's a certain amount of urgency with how this author writes. There's a couple of phrases that he uses. There's a little bit concern in his voice. And a few verses. Uh, Here's uh, Look back at them uh, with me. Uh, So chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so we do not drift away. Chapter 3, verse 1, He tells them to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, do not harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Chapter 4, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will fall away. And chapter 4, verse 14, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Hopefully with reading those out, you'll agree with me that there seems to be a little bit of a problem. That this church isn't in the best shape. And in our passage, we see exactly what's wrong. So far, we've read all these things and they're pointing to the problem. But tonight, the author tells us what exactly is wrong with this church. If you look down at chapter 5, verse 11, he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear because you no longer try to understand They no longer try to understand. Or as the ESV translates it, you have become hard of hearing. And verse 11 is a little uh, interruption. 
he kind of interrupts his little train of thought. And he's talking about Jesus, and unsurprisingly he's saying how great Jesus is. He's comparing Jesus to a guy called Melchizedek, who was a, a high priest in the Old Testament. If you want to find out more about him, go to Genesis chapter 14, uh, a little bit later on. Um, but he's basically saying Melchizedek was great, he was really good, he was a priest, he was a king. But Jesus, he is much, much better. Look how amazing Jesus is. And you hear this train of thought, and it's building and building, and he's portraying Jesus as this great saviour. In fact, he's better than Melchizedek, because he is the saviour that saves you for all eternity the saviour that saves absolutely everybody and then he stops and he lets out a big sigh and he goes you know what I would keep going but you just don't really care do you you're slow to learn you freaking dull in your ears and you no longer try to understand what I'm saying to you it's not as if these people need a little bit more help uh, that they're intellectually slow that they need more time Uh, It's not as if they've just heard the gospel once. The author is talking to people who are in a church, listening to the gospel every single week. They're reading a letter about how great Jesus is. But he says, I'm going to stop. There's something wrong with your hearing. Your ears are dull. And I know I've used a few different translations of the Bible. One more. Uh, The Christian Standard Bible says uh, in verse 11 that we have a great deal to say about this and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand this guy could keep on explaining and tell them how great jesus is he could keep on going until he's blue in the face but he knows he's only wasting his time i have so many profound things to share with you but you're just not going to get it your hearts are hard and your ears are dull you can't be bothered to understand what i'm saying note again this is not because they need more time Or because they need a better teacher. Uh, In fact, they've had all the training they need. In fact, one of the rebuttals that the author gives them is like, by now you should be teachers. By now you should be telling other people the gospel. You should be training others up. You should be discipling others. And surely that's a sign of somebody who loves the gospel. Somebody who has sharp hearing. Somebody who wants to understand. That they hear the gospel and they see how urgent and how amazing it is. And they want to pass it on. A Christian who is sharp in hearing, a Christian who loves Jesus, a Christian who is making the effort um, to study and to love and to know him is this Christian who shares the gospel. They know it must be taught, they know it must be passed on, but this church? No. And it's actually that bad that not only can't they not be teachers, they actually have to go back to class. Imagine forgetting everything you know right now and having to go back to reception to learn it all again. That's how, uh, that's how dull and that's how useless these Christians have become um, in their faith. And now what do they need? They need milk. They've become babies. They've become infants. They should have been grown men, strong grown men and women. But they're actually babies. And we would be kidding ourselves if we thought this is a problem that only this church has 2,000 years ago. Uh, Only this church suffered a problem of dull ears or uh, lazy minds when it comes to spiritual things. And this passage really got me to test my heart and to think about it for myself. My practice is how do I spend my time? Am I a spiritual infant or am I growing more and more in love and knowledge of Jesus? Do I spend more time on myself than devoting it to God, the one who gives me my time in the first place? Do I spend more time binge watching than Bible reading? More time working than worshipping. More time living my own life the way I want instead of surrendering it all to God. Have I become lazy in my walk? Or am I continuing to push towards the goal? 
striving towards the finish line, running, walking, sprinting with all my might, heart, soul, and mind to love my Lord more. And this message isn't a warning for no reason. They don't put road signs to tell you there's a cliff ahead when there's no cliff. It's, it's here for a purpose, and the danger is, is quite severe, it's quite great. And the problem isn't just that God really hates lazy people. It's not that God doesn't like people who do nothing all day, but it's because of their laziness they're actually not spiritually fit. They're not able to discern between what is good and what is evil. Um, Remember, they're not intellectually slow, they're morally slow. An image of a, a runner running a race will come up in Hebrews in a few chapters. And the danger for them isn't that they're going they're not going to be the first person over the finish line. The danger for them is that they're not going to make it over the finish line at all. That they're going to collapse because their faith has no endurance. Or that they'll wander away. They'll find a different race. They'll wander away from the track that leads to life. And they'll stumble towards the race that leads to destruction. The pursuit of holiness, conforming life to Jesus through Bible study and worship and self-examination is not optional. It's not just for uber-spiritual Christians, but for everybody who claims to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're not pushing forward in your faith, if you're not fighting sin, if you're not making sure Jesus is the most attractive thing to you, if you're not loving your brothers and sisters, if you're not engaging in serious study of God's word, I think the message here is that's a pretty dangerous place to be. To be spiritually immature, to be infants when we should be grown-ups, to be spiritually blind whenever we should see in technicolor is not how God wants his people to live or his church to be. You're going, okay, Josh, we've got the problem. You've, you've hammered it home hard enough. What's the remedy? What do we need to do? What do I need to do if this is me tonight? Well, praise God first, there is a remedy that he's offering this church another chance. Maybe tonight you feel a bit like these believers. Like this part of God's word is really pointing the finger at you and at your heart. And you know what? That's a good thing. It shows that you've got spiritual ears. It shows that you're listening to somebody. It shows that you're listening to God's voice. It tells you that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. If someone says you're in danger and you've got the sense and ability to say, you know what? Yes, I am. Then that's a good thing. Praise God that he does give second chances. The remedy is this. Drink lots of milk. If you're infants, what do you need? You need milk. Verse 13 of chapter 5. Anyone who lives in milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What is this milk this author is talking about? Well, it's the foundation. It's the 101 in Christianity. It's the simple gospel promises. The milk of Christianity is that Christ died to save sinners. The milk of Christianity is that God is holy and righteous and our our deeds before him are like worthless rags. That through Christ's death we have adopted into God's family and established in his everlasting kingdom. Those are simple basic Bible promises that infants can know. It's amazing when you work with children actually how much they can articulate and how much they know of God. And those are really simple promises that anybody in any age of the faith should know. But how does drinking this milk make us mature? What does it do? Uh, Why is it good for us? Verse 14 again. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. It's saying if you want to be mature, if you want to understand more of God's word, to be able to eat solid food, if you want to go on to maturity, you've got to drink the milk. 
And you've got to let it renew your mind. That the drinking of this milk produces a new mind that lets you discern between what is good and what is evil. To drink gospel milk is to remember the basic promises of the gospel and to let them transform your mind. Not intellectually, not so that your head is crammed full of good biblical facts and that you're an ace when it comes to the Bible section of the table quiz. But in a way that means we meditate on what God's word says. That it grasps our hearts, that it takes hold of our minds, that it informs us how we live, it informs our morality. That's how we become mature, that's how we grow. We let God's word do its work in our everyday life, in our everyday morality. That our morality becomes more and more like Jesus. That means that we are obedient to him. That we read the Bible, and what we read in the Bible really does impact how we live. It really impacts what we watch on TV. It really impacts how we do business deals, how we treat our parents, how we use our money, how we drive our cars and how we do 10 billion things every other day. What we read in the Bible should impact how we live every single second of the day. The mark of a mature Christian isn't somebody who knows their Bible inside out, but it's somebody who is obedient to Jesus. Somebody who reads the truth, someone who drinks the milk of scripture and applies it to themselves. They let their mind be conformed and reformed by God's word. Maybe this evening you're not drinking your milk. How about this week, tonight, tomorrow, picking up your Bible and your pen, going somewhere alone and reading a section of the Bible and just writing down everything you learn about God. See the character and how good and how great God is and apply it to yourself. Listen to the word of God, the promises of the gospel. Give attention to what you read. Earnestly apply them to your heart. Don't be passive or, or absent. Sometimes we have the habit of reading a little Bible story and go, isn't that nice 2,000 years ago that that happened? But take it, read it, and see that it's instructing you how to live. Be like a baby. Has anybody ever heard a baby uh, whenever they're hungry? They're determined in what they want. They're going to cry and cry until they get fed. Be like that. Approach God's word with the determination to say, you know what, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not taking my eyes off this book until you feed me until you give me what I need to live for you. And once you do that, then you'll be informed how to live. Your morals will be informed. You will be able to discern between what is good and what is evil. To able to live for Christ, able to be a mature Christian in your job, in whatever political position you take, in how to raise your children, in how to serve in church, in how to retire and what to wear, in every decision that your whole being might be conformed to Jesus. We don't stand still as followers A follower who stands still doesn't really make much sense. And these believers are warned of this. He says, don't stand still. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3 say this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and the faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. That list might seem a little bit alien to us, might seem a little bit strange why he might list these things, but those acts, those rites are common practices of Jews. So if you were a Jew hearing this back 2,000 years ago, you would know exactly what he is talking about. Remember, this book is written to a Jewish audience. The writer is saying, press on. Don't dwell on the old Jewish ideas. Don't dwell on the Jewish laws or anything you learned before you became a Christian. Press on into the maturity of your faith. 
There's no need to demolish and rebuild. The foundations that are, are good, the foundations of Judaism are good. But you need to grow in your Christian faith. You need to be established in Christ. You can't just have faith towards God. You need to have faith in God. Faith in Jesus. Keep pushing forward in them. In their laziness, these people might have thought, you know what, I, I know a little bit of truth. I know a little bit about God. I remember some, uh, somebody telling me, a rabbi telling me that a couple of, of years ago. And this gospel sounds pretty good too, but you know what, I, I know my stuff. They think they've maybe graduated from the school of gospel. Uh, they've got a good head knowledge of it. They don't rely on these things. Don't rely on these things, says the author. Keep pressing into them. Keep coming to Jesus. Keep coming in faith to God. Keep knowing that there's resurrection from the dead. That there's an eternal destruction that you've been rescued from. Keep pushing into those truths. That your faith isn't stationary. But it is on the move and it's growing in maturity. Reminds me a bit of Philippians chapter 2. That we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. One last thing this evening. Just in case tonight you feel pretty burdened. In case you feel that me or God's word has um, maybe given you a few blues tonight and maybe you feel like going home and taking a a whole month of reading the Bible, which isn't uh, a bad idea. Uh, But here's a little condition to our maturity. Verse 3 of chapter 6. And God permitting, we will do so. Tonight, you're not by yourself as a Christian. You're not by yourself as you pursue maturity. In fact, It's all up to God. It's God who dictates how holy you will be and how quickly your holiness is. This doesn't mean that we do nothing. This doesn't mean, well, God, if you're in charge, then you just do it for me. We don't want to be lazy. In fact, all of Hebrews, what we've just read, has been telling us that we cannot be passive. We must be active. But ultimately, the author wants to say that it's all up to God. But just because he's in control doesn't mean that we don't have an obligation. Just because he's in control doesn't mean we don't have a duty to love and to serve and to grow more like him. But in fact, it should enable it. It should give us hope. It should give us joy to know that as we do this, it's God who directs our steps and God who directs our paths. That the God who begins this work in us will see it to completion. We'll see it to the end. God is sovereign. He is in control. And really, that's the only hope we ever have in making it. His hand upon our lives and his steering us. And the fact that we get to join in in that, we get to partner in that is amazing. Let that take you and go, you know what, God, I'm I'm up for this. If you're in this with me, if you're going to do this in my life, then I'm up for it as well. But not only should it enable us, but it should also give us rest. God's sovereignty is where we rest. We take a sigh of relief and we know it's not all up to us. Our writer is is pleading. He's probably really frustrated with this church. He's urging them and urging them to go on and on, giving them a good check. Wake up, come on, don't be lazy. Keep on going with Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with that, that really hard command to keep going. He says, he stops and he says, actually, keep trying, but ultimately it's all up to God. In him, find your rest and in him, put your trust. He's the only one who can take you to that place of completion in him. So, people of God, if you need to wake up, please do. See the seriousness that there is in having dull ears, of the danger that there is to having a hard heart towards Christ. Don't rely on yesterday's milk, but get into the word, pick up your Bible and read it until you clearly see the gospel for yourself. Cry out to God for help. Lord, soften my heart to know you, 
Help me be mature that I might live better for you. And once you do that, once you see him in his word, once you see those gospels, once you're fed by it, leave it up to him. Leave it up to God to grow your mind and to grow you into maturity, to be established. And if God wills, he will certainly do it. Let's pray. Father, we praise and we thank you. We thank you for your word that does cut like a double-edged sword at times. And we just pray tonight for our hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that you would expose them, that you would help us to see clearly what we need to do next. We ask for grace and for strength to be in your word this week. Father, we ask that whenever we do enter uh, into your word, whenever we do read it, that you would speak clearly to us and that you would give us that milk that leads to maturity, that you would give us that solid food that leads to good discernment as well. Father, be with us as we do this. We know that we don't do this alone, but with you beside us at every step and you leading our paths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.